Nice. It? We got Wait, are we recording? We got covered. Yeah, we are. Oh. Okay, okay. I Preparing for this episode, I was thinking about my childhood. Mm. And because uh, I was thinking about shows I watched because I was like digging for different headlines and stuff. Yeah. And I remember when I was a kid, I would watch Guinness World Records. Mm-hmm. Do you not remember that? Vaguely. You don't remember that, Mark? Uh, I did not watch that. I remember the big book that everybody fought over at school. Yes, the book. But the book, I think, was a show first. Was it? I don't think so. Oh, no. It was a book of records. Yeah. And then it became a very popular show. And I remember specifically this episode where this woman would pop her eyes out. Oh, yeah. I remember that. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where her eyeballs would come out like an inch yeah. out of her head. And then I also remember watching um, a guy that grew his... His toenails. His toenails. Yes. And his fingernails insanely long. And they got curly at the end. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember No, that. but they were like insanely long. Like, how, how do you live life like that? I mean, he did. Yeah, he nailed it. You can't wear socks. <laughs> yeah. No, and and honestly, I I wake up every day and I'm like, I don't think I could ever live without socks. Yeah, that's the first thought in my mind. Yeah, is socks. How do you live? What about socks? taking a shower? Without socks. Yeah. Well, shower is comes after the socks. Yes. Okay, I understand. Yes, <laughs> it's socks priority. Yeah, and then showering. Yeah, but like that's crazy. But I remember some other ones too. I remember. This one guy laying on the floor, and he would spin a bunch of basketballs all over his body. <laughs> you don't remember that? No. He, sp- he spun it on his toes. Yeah. He spun it on his fingers, on his face. Did he spin it on his toenails? On his chest. Oh, on his chest. I'm serious. The guy had a record. Most balls. Most balls spun <laughs> on his body. It's <laughs> a cool record. You don't like that record? I do. I, I mean, said they're it's all cool. pretty dumb. Yeah. If you follow them on Instagram, there's some dumb ones. Oh, Guinness has an Instagram? Yes, it's ridiculous. Some of these are just dumb. Yeah. Like this one. Bible dingers ding or no ding. <laughs> you know how we start the show. I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark. And we are... Bible dingers. dingers. And we start each and every episode with ding or no ding. Well, I come up with a news headline and my friends here, Ryan and Mark, have to decide whether it is ding real or no ding fake. And then we dive into the topic at hand, and that is the book of Jimmy. The book of Jim. The book of Jim. Yeah. And in case you guys don't know, we are talking about Jim, (laughs) who is short for Slim Jim. Uh-huh. And I love Slim Jim. So Comes right before why, first Pete. Yeah, yeah, that's why we dedicated a full episode about Slim Jims. Yeah. Because Ryan and I, I don't know about Mark, we really love beef jerky. Oh, yeah. I, th- I thought this was our first show's sponsorship. It Ooh, is. Ooh, this would be a perfect segue to let you know that this episode is brought to you by... Slim Jim. Nothing, because we oh. have no ads. Yeah. If you're interested, please hit us up, because we would like... Some income, some free slim gyms. Uh, that that you know, a the Tabasco a, one. Hey, I don't I don't like the Tabasco ones. I haven't had slim gym in like twenty years. But do when they, I was a kid, I used to love them. Do they are they considered 
beef jerky? Or are no, they their own beef stick. thing? It's a meat oh. stick. Because I don't think it's beef. I think it's a meat stick. Oh, mm. it's just meat. It's like yeah. bologna. Not yeah. beef. Yeah. So you think it's like... It's mystery meat. Uh, anyway, this headline is Wisconsin man suctions 20 plungers <laughs> to his body for an all-time Guinness World Record. You know, for Guinness World Records, somebody from Guinness has to go in person and watch you do the record. <laughs> so that's they something they to think about. Tiny plungers, like a little mini ones. <laughs> why, why did that's you a good point, question? Why did you point to your nipple when you said mini plungers? <laughs> that's a good question. Do you, do you have little mini ones? <laughs> That's a good question. All right. I think I have my answer. Mark, do you have yours? Mm-hmm. Tooting or not tooting? That is the question. <laughs> what is the answer? What do you got, bro? Ding. Ding? Ding? Yeah. Well, this is the first time I think ever that <laughs> both of you lose. No. no. Please, God, no. <laughs> Why? I brought the stump, bro. That's impressive, bro. Today is a momentous day. Today, let me tell you. Put it in the record books. Put it in the Guinness World Record books. Call them up. Call them up. You got plungers. You got plungers. Check this out. I'm Nick. I'm here with Ryan and Mark, (laughs) and we're about to make something happen right here. Yes. Let me tell you about the actual headline, though. Okay. Wisconsin man suctions ten cans to his head for Guinness World Record. (laughs) And this is real. July 15th, a Wisconsin man with unusual skin suction recaptured a Guinness World Record by sticking 10 cans to his shaved head. Hmm. What type of cans are we talking about? Jamie Keaton, a.k.a. Canhead or (laughs) Canpa, to his grandchildren, originally set the record for most drink cans placed on his head using air suction using air suction in 2016, when he affixed eight cans to his head and had them remain in place for at least five seconds. Keaton's record was broken by a Japanese man who stuck nine cans to his head in 2019, leading Keaton to recapture the title this year oh, thank God. with 10 cans. Oh, my God. Keaton, who turned his ability to stick objects to his head into a lucrative career, attributed his unusual skill to a medical condition. I actually have a skin condition that's not named yet where my skin pores literally suck in oxygen. Mm. So that's the actual headline. I switched it to plungers and I brought the stump. Let me tell you something. If anybody signs up on our Patreon for $1 a month, I will have this guy on our YouTube page. I'll tell you what. If you sign up for $25 or more, I will put 20 plungers on my body. Tiny ones. <laughs> the mini ones. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I will send you a video yeah. for absolutely free. For $25. For $25 a month. <laughs> you know, with all this talk about plungers, I'm getting really enthused about sucking the life out of you. Mm. Uh, by talking about, I can't say the Bible. Yeah, you can't say that. I, I don't know. I don't know what to say now. Yeah. I, I was trying to think of a pun so bad. 
And I'm usually pretty good at it. Yeah, you are. But you just got to keep going until that pun is as dead as your faith without works. Bible dingers. I think I fixed it. You fixed it. The pun. I think I fixed the pun. Oh, thank God. And if you don't know what we're talking about, we're talking about the book of James. <laughs> we got 30 seconds. <laughs> That's, good. That's 30 seconds, bro. I didn't yeah. want to get in trouble. Undertaker might have sued us. You know what I mean? That's perfect. You'd probably love that. I'm sure he would love his music featured on a Bible podcast. Well, I, I was saying he, you would like that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I would love it. He did hit us up one time and was like, guys, could you please somehow incorporate my theme song yep. into yes. the show? Yeah. And I, for the first time ever, brought the stump and made his dreams come true. Today. It's incredible. Hey, wait, look, Bible dingers. Better than lemon, I'm ready to eat. I got a attitude like easy. I had to blow up the lab like DD. I got a problem with friends, no Phoebe. All of you boys, low key, wanna be me. Come on, they give me, they wanna like CC. Come on, they give me, they wanna like A. You are listening to the Bible dingers podcast. Some of y'all still look sleepy. Billboard Keep, you see me. I never mention no Drake like BB. Yeah, whipping the CC, had her on repeat. I look faster. Yeah, yeah. So, my voice is super hoarse today, right? You sound kind of like Louis Armstrong. Just like him, yeah. <laughs> Mirror the turtles! But you know how we start? With the title, and that is Jimmy. Little Jimmy. <laughs> Slim Jim. But the actual title is James. Mm-hmm. The title of this book comes from the author's name, similar to most of the other general epistles. So we got Hebrews. <laughs> I James, put that in as a joke. First and second. The Peter, one without a name. First and second John, <laughs> Jude, Revelation. You know what I mean? All of those. Genesis. Moses. Moses. Yep. Yes. Abraham. Yes. Exactly. We have all the other ones. Yeah. No. But for real, the title comes from his name, and there are a lot of other epistles that we read with the names in it. Like Hebrews. Like Hebrews. Hebrews. Yeah. Like Hebrews, coffee. You know what I mean? Anyway, there are four James named in the New Testament. There is James, the half-brother of Jesus. All Jesus' siblings are considered half-siblings. Because he was born before Mary and Joseph had slept together. You know what I'm saying? Hey, now. Hey. There's also James, the brother of the apostle John. And we see that in Mark chapter 1 and verse 19. And James, the son of Alphaeus. We see that in Mark chapter 3, verse 18. And James, the father of Judas. Not Iscariot. Not Iscariot. That would be pretty scary. Yeah, (laughs) that would be really scary. (laughs) It's not as scary yet. Yeah. But it would be if he betrayed you. Exactly. But we see that in James, the father of Judas, and Luke chapter 6, verse 16. 
Who wrote this? Now it is time for who wrote this, or as it says on the soundboard, who wart this? Nick almost died. Coffee literally almost shot out my nose. Are you lying to me? All right. So the author was likely not James, the brother of the Apostle John, because he was... Uh, James, the brother of the Apostle John, was martyred early on under Herod Agrippa the First. <laughs> I'm so distracted. So yeah, that's why it wasn't that James. He was martyred. Most people also don't consider James. <laughs> How long has it said work? <laughs> <laughs> Ever since it's been on there. <laughs> Bro, that was a curveball. I was not ready for it. I'm sorry about at that. At all. All right. It won't happen again. All right. Anyways, most people also don't consider James the son of Alphaeus or James the father of Judas candidates either because they're minor characters in the Bible. Uh, They're not really people of note, and so people wouldn't take their letters seriously. They're just dudes. Um, So that leaves us with the most likely candidate, which is James the half-brother of Jesus. James was a key leader in the Church of Jerusalem. We see that all throughout the book of Acts. He's mentioned many times. And he was one of the pillars of the church, according to Paul in Galatians 2.9. Besides this, there are many similarities in linguistic linguistic <laughs> styles between this book and James's speech in Acts 15. All right. So besides this book, if you read in the book of Acts, there's, there's a whole speech there by James, mm-hmm. chapter 15. Cool. Origen, Eusebius, Cyril of Jerusalem, Athanasius, Augustine, and many other early church writers attributed this book to the brother of Jesus. And finally, James at first didn't believe that his brother Jesus was the Messiah. It says in John 7, 5, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. However, he clearly had a change of heart when Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection, and it mentions that in 1 Corinthians 15, 7. Now it is time for Yo, 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 when this was written (laughs) The date of authorship So, James was martyred in 62 AD So we can use this at least as a starting point For the latest it could have possibly been written Unless obviously he wrote this after he was dead Which is uh, 99% not likely I mean, I don't know know, Maybe maybe he just had faith without works Yeah, he may have been dead uh hey now (laughs) (laughs) all right every time we say dead it's going it's coming on every time i every time please say (laughs) give me that no, you can't have it, bro. Give me that plug, bro. No, you're gonna abuse it. Give me that plug. You're abuse. Oh, I heard that. You're abusive with these with these noises, it wasn't bro. Me. I'm just saying it wasn't me. That last abusive noise was Mark, though. That was Mark. Just for the record. Just for the record, it wasn't me. So, anyways, he probably, like I was saying, he probably didn't write this before he died, uh, which was in 62 A.D. Did I say before or after? I think he said after first. He didn't write this after he died. Yeah, I gotta get this point out. It was so it was before 62 AD. Definitely before he died. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad we could establish. Okay, that. okay. So we're good on that point. Yeah. It's very it, you know, it's very similar to Paul. Very similar. I don't similar. think he All wrote his, his 
before he died either. Absolutely not, yeah. yeah. In fact, every book in the Bible was written before the author died. I'm not sure. Except for potentially Deuteronomy, this where Moses oh, yeah. wrote about wrote how he died. Yeah. <laughs> Moses, yeah. <laughs> and I, then I walked yeah. up on the mountain. And, and I die. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, was, he might have been writing it from heaven. He might have been. Yeah. All right. So anyways... It is of note that the Jerusalem Council isn't mentioned anywhere in the book of James, and this occurred in 49 AD, and James played a really active role in this event. It was a momentous occasion and would likely be mentioned if this was written after that moment, but it's not absolutely necessary, as we know this is an argument from silence. Um, so it's not necessary. Can I hear that not- argument? There it is. So, <laughs> so it's not necessary that it had to have been written before forty nine, but we think it might be likely. I think, I think James provided that argument after he died. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yep. He's still providing that argument to this day. Actually, <laughs> it's true. It's very true. <laughs> Uh, Also, there is a lack of reference or even allusion to any other New Testament writings, as there is in a lot of the New Testament books. A lot of times they'll make references to each other. And so it seems likely that the writing of James was around 45 to 48 AD, um, which would chronologically be actually the first book of the New Testament. And so that's probably why there's no references to any other books. It doesn't talk about the Jerusalem Council like many of the Pauline books do. Some people even date this book as early as 34 or 35 AD, which is right after Jesus died, of course. But then he rose, as we all know. That could have been in the fun fact section, too. Yeah. About it being the first. Yeah, that was pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. Was it fun? I, like, I think it's also interesting that it's one of the last books of the New Testament. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's one of the first books of the New Testament. Yeah, written. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Action is coming. <laughs> That one's a little bit better. Let's try a different one. Action is coming. That action is coming. (laughs) Every now and then we have to have fun with that keyboard. Anyway, this section, if you haven't noticed by all of those sound bites, is the historical context section. Oh, that's what that means? <clears throat> and we talk about a a not very well-known term, but it's a term that we hear songs about all around us. The term oh, the term is despacito. <laughs> you know, despacito. Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico. Oh. No, 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 no. Okay. So the word is diaspora. 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 And this is a term used to label the dispersion of Jewish people away from the Jewish lands. And in James 1.1, it states that it is written to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. So there are several reasons why the Jewish people were scattered out of their lands through the years. Looking back to the Old Testament, there was the exile of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdoms to Assyria and Babylon. 
And if you don't know anything about the XL, please go back and listen to our Old Testament episodes where we, I think we talk about it a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and we, I think we have a full section on one of the episodes, maybe the Old Testament. Um, what is it? Old Testament survey? No, not oh, survey. the intro to OT. The intro to OT. Yep. I think we have a full section of what the XL is. So go back in time three years ago and listen to that episode. And this XL was a major dispersion. There was also uh, Stephen's martyrdom, which could have caused a dispersion of Jewish believers around A.D. 31 to 34. Then there was likely another dispersion under the intense persecution of Herod Agrippa I around 44 A.D. And finally, at least in biblical times, there was another major dispersion at the end of the Jewish revolt, which began in 66 A.D. and lasted until the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 A.D. So, James could very well have been writing to the Jewish believers who were dispersed due to persecution by Herod Agrippa I. And the next section is the general purpose of the book. And James stresses the importance of Christian conduct in the book when he gives us a perfect intro into... A perfect The Undertaker theme song There's no other intro like it Perfect That's the perfect intro into the Undertaker theme song, bro Bible Dingers (laughs) Bible Dingers I like that I like that better than the original Yeah, me too Anyways, James stresses the importance of Christian conduct in this book a Christian with true and useful faith is one who will have maturity and holiness and character. He deals with the practice of Christianity much more than the doctrines. It is practical life imperatives similar to Proverbs in many ways. All right, now it is time for the fun facts of the book of James. First fun fact is that it is well known that Martin Luther did not like the book of James. Really? He didn't like it. Are you lying to me? He famously called it a right strawy epistle. It's very strawy. Strawy. I hate yeah. when things that I read are It's strawy. right strawy. Right. Right strawy yes. epistle. So that's your first fun fact. Old Luther didn't like it. Second fun fact, second and final fun fact. James is more of a lecture than a letter, and James is clearly an amazing speaker. His words are direct and convicting while also being artistic and beautiful. James uses 30 illustrations from nature, pulls references from 21 different Old Testament books. It is likely that James used more figures of speech analogies, and illustrations in this short book than Paul did in all of his books combined. Oof. I have a third fun fact. Oh, This was the first book of the Bible I read. Really? Nice. Like just now, getting ready for this outline? Yeah. (laughs) That's good. That's pretty good. And you know what? You were talking about the fun facts. I was trying to think of a fun way to start the historical context section. And I think this episode 
is going to be where I announce that we have a perfect soundbite for that section that we just let it waste. Do we? Mm. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready? Are you ready for the historical context section ah, of the book? You see? I see. It is perfect. It is perfect. It is finished. It is... Tell Telestai. It's outline time. Ah. It's outline time. It's... I can't go as fast as that. Try it again. All right. There is one, two, three, four, five, six... Seven. What do we call them? Sections. <laughs> Seven sections of the Book of James, and actually, I will give um, the early church some props here, some major propers, mm-hmm. um, because the chapters are actually pretty well sectioned out in the Book of James, whereas many of our outlines. Like the flow of the book doesn't necessarily follow the chapters, you know what I mean? Like his point overflows into half of the next chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then they start another point in that chapter, and it, you know what I mean? Yeah. But oh, I feel yeah. like the Book of James they did pretty well for the most part. It's like every chapter is its own idea. So I think Paul seems more like just a stream of conscious writer, just like yeah. 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 All right. So you. seven sections, I think I said. The first one is the introduction where he's like, hey, this is James. What's up? The second is trials and true religion. I'm not talking about the genes here. Um, it's mostly talking about trials in chapter one. And it starts off talking about the value of trials in the first 11 verses. And we should have a proper attitude toward trials, according to verse 2, which is basically that we should be counting it all joy when we meet trials of various kinds. And then the end product of trials is in verses 3 and 4, which is that trials produce steadfastness. And then in order to help adopt this attitude in verse 5 through 8, he basically says that if you don't, have this attitude you should ask god for it for you have not because you ask not a lot of people um use this verse out of context just absolutely (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) he's talking about uh asking essentially for trials so that you will have steadfastness so ask for trials go for it (laughs) yeah in the same (laughs) section in my section you're asking for wisdom yeah so he he says this a lot but it's not yeah, you could just ask for whatever you want. Yeah, You'll get yeah, it immediately. Yeah. Yep. All right, and then he sort of backs out here and gives you a larger view of the circumstances <laughs> in verses 9 through 11, and he's basically telling you at the end of this section uh, about trials, this this top section about trials, is that beauty and riches will fade away and that they are vain pursuits. And so basically don't worry about it. You're going to go through trials. Don't worry about losing your, your riches and your beauty, which I've lost a long time ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, but that is, that's a vain pursuit to try and pursue those things. Agreed. So the second section of chapter one is the options in trials. And so it starts out with what he says is the ultimate end of trials, which is um, the person who goes through the trials receiving the crown of life, he says. 
whatever that looks like. Oh, I learned that that's not supposed to be a metaphor of like royalty mm-hmm. as much as it was um, a picture of, you know, when you win the Olympics back then, you would get like this wreath mm. to show that like you've made it. Yeah, yeah. That's more of the picture that was getting it. I like that. You ran the race. Exactly. Uh, and then it talks a little bit about temptation here. And this is also uh, another verse that's constantly taken out of context about God not giving you more than you can handle. Mm. Uh, that's actually out of context. Um, this section talks about how each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. And then it goes on to say that desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. And the fun fact about this uh, verse, uh, this, actually, I think I preach from 13 to 18, is that if you want to catch that sermon, you can go on Honest Youth Pastors YouTube, and if you don't know who he is, he's a friend of the show. Um, and he produces some amazing content on Instagram and YouTube. He did a review of my sermon on this passage. And uh, if you just type in Nick and the passage, an honest youth pastor, I promise you I'm the only video. My man. So make sure you go and check that out. And I think I did the passage pretty well. I think you did. You were there, right? I was probably there, yeah. (laughs) You don't remember when I used the Butterfinger analogy? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah he basically called me fat on stage for like 20 no. minutes straight. He lost a bunch of weight. So I was like, if I had the Butterfinger in front of him. He was like dangling it in front of my face like, here, fatty. Here, here's <laughs> and then I gave it to you after the service and you ate it. So you I proved, did not eat it. You proved the point. I did not, not eat it. Mm. I did not eat that Butterfingers, my wife. Oh, did. no. <laughs> my wife ate that Butterfingers. Okay, okay. I stand corrected. You stand corrected. Look at you. Anyways, this section is talking about how temp- temptation comes from our own desires. Everybody's out here talking about, oh, the devil's tempting me to do this. Mm-hmm. The devil's tempting me to do that. The devil's not worried about you, bro. Uh, you tempt yourself, bro. You're always, you do yourself dirty. You know what I mean? Mm. It comes from your own inward desires of what you want. That's what I'm saying. You tempt you, bro. The devil's not tempting you for something you don't want yeah it's, it, you really want it that's what i'm saying so that's why you're tempted because you the, want also it. don't give the devil some sort of omnipresence bro he's not everywhere at all yeah. times like mm. god is bro he's not worried about you over there in wisconsin okay you know what <laughs> i mean <laughs> he's worried about like the president and crap wisconsin yeah you don't think he's worried about the guy with with cans on his <laughs> with the cheese head the can- oh is that where he is yeah wisconsin, wisconsin. he should it should be re- renamed to wisconsin that's for sure Oh, yeah, I mean, you guys know that Buddhists also believe this. What that the you know inner desire is the most um, thing that produces the most suffering in our lives. Mm. So that's why they meditate. They try to rid themselves of their desire. Well, they're right on some accounts. Oh, and they uh, they're the ones that do uh, like you have to reach what is it Nirvana or something? Yeah, no one they reach something. You reach like yeah that stage. Nirvana is Buddhist, right? I believe so. Yeah, it's like once you're you've reincarnated enough times and you've rid yourself of all desire, then you can reach nirvana. Yeah. But what does that really mean? No one. What knows. does that mean? Yeah. And then, isn't chi something else that another religion tries to gather? Chi. Chi. Yeah. I think that's no. I think that's like a Eastern medicine type of thing. Oh. Like okay. a I mean, I don't chakra. Know. 
yeah, yeah, your yeah, chakras yeah. or like some kind of Hindu spiritual thing. Anyways, yeah, uh, temptation. Yeah, it comes from you. It comes from the chi. Yeah, it comes from your sick, disgusting desires. You sick, sick. All right, and then it ends this uh, section about temptation, talking about the goodness of God, uh, and and he says basically that every good gift is from above, and this is a song that my kids sing all the time in homeschool. Every good gift is from above. James one, James one. We do need a song for for next week. I mean, <laughs> all right, let's get back to pull it. the audio from this guy right here. <laughs> yeah. Well, Bible that's already kids. somebody else's song, so I don't know if... So just remix it. Remix it right now. James. There you go. All right. So it finishes out the section on trials by talking about the proper response to trials in verses 19 through 27. The improper response is to be quick to anger. So it tells us not to be quick to anger. And then the response that... Uh, the Lord would desire from us is that we should put away wick- wickedness. Wicked, wicked. <laughs> wicked, wicked, wicked. <coughs> Excuse me. Look at you. Uh, that was the wrong one. We should put away <laughs> wickedness um, when we're going through trials. <clears throat> Was that the there one it, you were going for? There it is. <laughs> and then also in verses 22 through 25, we have a special set of verses here that talk about being a doer of the word and not a hearer although i did write not a header instead of hearer that works (laughs) but uh yeah this special set of verses because one of my favorite youtube channels is a channel called doer oof um are they even still making you guys go check that out when you get a chance it's been like two years do they i think they do i know all right and then finally there is the external behavior which we should be exhibiting through trials, uh, and he says here to bridle your tongue. You guys know what a bridle is? Yes, to get married. My tongue is supposed to get married. <laughs> it's the thing that controls a horse. Yes. Um, so bridle your horsey tongue. Also, uh, there's a famous verse here that talks about how pure religion is visiting the orphan and widow and keeping yourself unstained by the world, even though I wrote undrained by the world. <laughs> because you were giving me a perfect segue to let you know that my laptop battery is dying. Oh, it is not undrained. It is undrained by this episode. <laughs> well, drained. Yeah. Um, but I think I have an hour left, so we're good. Okay. <laughs> anyway, next section is the third section, partiality and vital faith. Um, and we, we are entering chapter two now. And that's broken up into a couple of different sections, the problem of favoritism and the importance of vital faith. The problem of favoritism uh, pretty much is given to us in the opening verses of chapter 2, verses 1 to 13. In verse 1, we see where it says, show no partiality, which means we are not going to uh, treat others differently because... They're our favorites and the other ones. And the other guy over there is not worthy of our attention or whatever. And we kind of see an analogy given to us in verses 2 to 4, the present and proper practice. So basically, if a man is wearing a gold ring and he comes in, and then a poor man, shouts out to all the poor men, including myself, comes in, and, and then you go to that 
you go to that poor guy and you say, you stand over there or you sit at my feet. And to the rich man, you give him a nice place to sit. You're making distinctions and have become judges with evil thoughts. So he gives us an analogy to understand his first point. Um, and that first point was show no partiality. And then we move on to the inconsistency of favoritism in verses 5 through 7. Why should you treat others so unfairly when God himself chose those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? So why are you treating the poor guy differently when God himself did not do that? So it's very inconsistent to, to treat others that way. We should be looking to God for a perfect example of how to treat others. And then we have the Christian's duty in verses 8 and 9. Love your neighbor as yourself. A very, very, very popular verse. Uh, James is filled with popular verses, by the way. Um, some out of context, some not. So uh, if you see a James verse, make sure you do some diving in and make sure that it's in context. Uh, next up is the significance of partiality in verses 10 through 11. It may not seem like a huge deal, right? It's just like the way we treat people. It's not this huge thing. But in reality, if you break one law, and I know there's a ton of laws that God has given us all throughout the Bible, Old Testament specifically, a ton of laws. Even if you just break one of them, you broke them all, and you become a transgressor of the law. So I know I, I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm generally a good person. Well, mm. if you've committed one wrong thing in your life, comparison to a perfect and holy God, you broke them all. Um, Come on. So that's the significance of partiality, that it's actually significant. You might not seem like it's a big deal, but if you do it once, oh. if you do it once, according to God's standards, you broke all of his laws and you need a savior. And the next section is the importance of vital faith. And there's James' assertion in uh, verse 14 and he, he asked the question, what good is it to have faith with no works? And this is a perfect um, segue into probably one of the most famous verses in all of James. And that's where he talks about that faith without works is dead. Mm -hmm. But we will get there in a moment. But first, he gives us an illustration in verses 15 and 16. A brother and sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, and you don't give them a thing. Mm. You don't give them anything for their body. You don't give them any food at all, but you tell them to go in peace. What good is that? You've literally served zero purpose. So that's the analogy that he gives us to understand the question that he asked in verse 14. And then James restates his point in verse 17 where he says that faith without works is dead. I would have pulled up the song, but I'm going to have to open Spotify again. Yeah. And I don't want to do that. And Who the does? audio is horrific because Ryan refused to give me the plug. <laughs> anyway, but we know, we know what James is saying about a Christian who has faith with no works. He is not a man of God. Come on. That's what he is saying. And that's what we believe, and Undertaker agrees too. But there's an objection in verse 18, and some people will say, some people have faith, and some people have works. Why can't you just go and accept them all? And we kind of hear that point, that we kind of hear that objection in some of the popular teachers out there. 
and I won't even call them pastors because it's not true. We see that right here, what James is saying. Some people do this. Some people do that. Some people do this. Some people do that. Let's just accept everyone for what they have to offer to the Christian faith. Some people's faith might be stronger and others might have a lot of work with no faith. That's not the reality because James provides a rebuttal in verses 19 to to, through 23. And he says, how can you show me your faith if you don't have works? I'll show you my faith by my works. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, there's not one without the other. You show one with the other. Come on. And then James provides a final argument in verses 24 through 26 of chapter two. And he says, we are called to be right with God by what we do and not by faith alone. Oh, look. Not faith alone. Not faith alone. Correct. How are you going to talk about that? Not sola fide. In the Reformed culture? So there's definitely many interpretations of the passage. I don't know if we're going to get into it. And uh, actually, my pastor did, our pastor, Mm -hmm. um, did a full full, uh, study on all of these passages. And I was kind of tempted to dig deep on this one, but I was like, we don't have the time for it. Yeah. It would take a while to, to like, I think people get it mixed up that you have to have works, you know, in order to be saved. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a common misconception, especially with Catholics. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I think what James is actually saying is your works are just a proof that you have faith. It's not what gives you faith. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I would say that it is a guaranteed byproduct of the faith that God has given you by his grace and mercy. So if God is so powerful enough to change your heart, because we do believe that, that he's the one that works a miracle in your life, and he is so powerful enough to literally take a sinner and change him into a man or woman of God, then he is definitely powerful enough to encourage you and push you through the work of his Holy Spirit to do something for the advancement of his kingdom. How can you be changed and do nothing? So it's not that faith is is what is necessary to be saved. It's grace that does that. It's faith that does that. But it's definitely a guaranteed byproduct of what God is doing in your life. Would you agree with that? Maybe. I know you have a, a different take on this. Yeah, that's. There, I think there's two major takes besides the wrong take, which is that Faith or works is required for salvation. I think that's a that's also a major take, but I think that one's wrong. Yeah, of course. Clearly, I think that that take that you presented is definitely a valid take. The other valid take I've heard is that this uh, section is about how faith without works is useless. That there's no point of you even being saved. You're doing. You have. You're of no use to the body of Christ. Essentially, if you're not. If you're not doing works, and in that and in that way, faith without works is dead. It's useless. So someone would say that it's not that you don't have faith at all. It's just that the faith that you have is useless, but you're still saved. Right. Yeah. And the argument there is that <clears throat> there seems to be a lot of other verses in the Bible that talk about carnal Christians, like Christians that are Christians, but they're sinful. And yeah. so that's the argument that they make. Yeah. 
And I know some of our reform teachers like John MacArthur or even R.C. Sproul would say there's literally no such thing as a carnal Christian. Yeah. So I think it's like like Ryan said before, if we're going to really dive into this section and do it justice, we need it. We need to give it a full YouTube video or or an episode by itself because there's so many points to cover. But just in passing, um, we do need to be brief, but we would encourage you to study the views on your own. And if you do have any questions about our take, you can hit us up on Instagram or, or Twitter or whatever. We even have a chat uh, feature on our website where you can ask a question and find out what we believe personally. Um, but I think the honestly, I think the general point of this entire book is not to argue about this particular passage but it's to encourage you to say you're saved now go work for god yeah you know we're supposed to be living for god's glory so i mean we can we can argue about the small details about this passage all day long but we might be missing the point if we waste too much time fighting over the interpretation of this passage instead of getting the overall point and that is go work you know yeah, the division is over why he's saying what he's yes, saying. It's yes. not over what he's saying necessarily. Mm-hmm. It's yes. over why he's saying it. And so but yeah, what he's saying is you need to you need to show that you have faith. Exactly. Doing, the why faith. can be debated and it's yeah. fun and I would love to have this conversation, but the what is unchanging regardless of the interpretation of the passage. Yep. And that is go work for the advancement of the kingdom. Go do something for the glory of God. And if you're saved, you should feel convicted if you're doing nothing for God. And you should be pushed to go do something for God. So we can end it there. And if anybody has any other questions, just hit us up with them. Anyway, then we are uh, diving into the fourth section. And that is chapter three, speech and divine wisdom. And he talks about something that is almost impossible. Actually, that is impossible. And that is controlling the tongue. And that is... uh, this section of verses 1 and 12 of chapter 3, 1 through 12. But he opens up this section in verse 1 with a negative warning to teachers. And he lets them know that teachers are judged harder than pretty much anybody else. Mm -hmm. So if you're a teacher, and he'll start to explain why you are judged harder and why you need to really work on your tongue um, in the next sections, But he wants to give you a fair warning. If you're teaching the word of God, the spotlight's on you to make sure that you get this down right. This is a scary verse to me before I really started stepping into like any kind of ministry rules. Yeah. I was like, man, I don't know if I want that. (laughs) (laughs) But for me, I feel, I mean, even I want to be a pastor, but even if you don't feel called to be a pastor, I feel like once you start diving and learning about scripture, you always automatically teach in some shape or form Mm -hmm. it kind of comes with the territory because if someone's struggling with a verse and you've already studied it and you know the answer to it you kind of go into teacher mode without realizing it because it's through the holy spirit that he wants you to teach people the word right so it's like that's like what hebrews talks about yeah it's like you should be teaching people by now Mm -hmm. yeah if you're more mature in your faith do you want to you want what is it milk right You're, you're still on milk, where you should be on solid food. Exactly. Daddy no want milk. Give daddy solid food. (laughs) Daddy loves ducks. (laughs) I don't like lechecita. Anyway, so the reason for the warning in verse 2 is he is warning because the tongue 
is this impossible thing to control. If we could control our tongue, we would pretty much be able to control any other sin that we can do in our lives. If we can, we could be able to control our whole bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, <laughs> my tongue is just doing what it wants it's right all now. Over the place, it's right? smacking me in the face. <laughs> It's running off down the stairs. It's got a mind of its own. <laughs> it's literally got a mind of its own. I cannot. Okay. <laughs> anyway. Um, but we, uh, James gives us examples of this danger in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 3. And he gives us a, a, an example that he gave us earlier with Ryan's section. You can control a horse by its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot goes. In the same way, our tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. We could do a lot of damage with it, in other words. Mm-hmm. In fact, the next part in verses 7 through 8 says that the tongue is so impactful to what you do as a human being that the tongue is a fire. <laughs> we can literally light things on fire with it. Yo, 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 when this was fire. <laughs> I wouldn't say literally. It's literally no, a literally. fire. I wouldn't it say is, literally. It is literally a fire. I would say metaphorically. There is smoke coming out of my mouth right now. <laughs> I don't know what Mark is talking about, but I have a physical fire as a tongue. Flames. No, it's metaphorically a fire. Literally, metaphorically. It could just burn up the whole room metaphorically. Literally. And then, as a result of your fire burning the whole room, your tongue is on ignites fire. the flame <laughs> to your eternal fire hey, no. in hell. <laughs> it's lit. It's lit. Yeah. It's getting lit up in here. In the next section, the inconsistency of the tongue, verses 9 through 12. So you got this tongue, right? It's very inconsistent. Right. It's on fire, right? Oh, yeah. It's doing what it wants. It's running up and down the stairs over here. And it's out of control. It's smacking Ryan in the face. It's doing all these things. And then we get, it's cursing you. And at the same time, it's blessing you. I love you. I hate you. (laughs) It starts speaking in tongues out of nowhere with zero interpretation. And just it's it starts buying Hondas. Should about And it's it's very inconsistent. You don't know what this thing is going to do. About a Hyundai should about a Hyundai. You have no idea what it's going to do. In fact, some compare your tongue to your wife. You don't know what I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hey, I'm kidding. All right. All right. Next section. Controlling the mind. And that is chapter 3. Verses 13 through 18. There's the importance of humility. In verse 13, it says to do good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) We got to stop doing these outlines when we're tired, bro. Bro, You're just being Joey from Friends. That humility comes from wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Are you doing? (laughs) It comes from wisdom. And the importance of graciousness in verses 14 through 16 of chapter 3, the core word here is wisdom. When we show our works, let it be done graciously. Don't be bitterly jealous and prideful. Those things don't come from God. And I've heard some people question this section and say, isn't God jealous? Hold on. 
don't we say that God is jealous? Mm. That is not this type of jealousy that the text is talking about. Mm. We're talking about a righteous jealousy. He's talking about a bitter one. And one that does not come from wisdom when we know that God is all wise and he has the right to be jealous if his attributes allow him to be. And then next is the importance of loving peace. And that is verses 17 through 18 of chapter 3. The wisdom that is truly from God is pure and filled with peace, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good works, impartial and sincere. Main, oh, main. You finally. got a big section here, Nikki. Finally, Sorry finally, finally. We are at section five, conflicts and humble submission, chapter four. So chapter three ends with telling us how to have peace, and chapter four starts with fights. <laughs> so verses one through ten of chapter four, interpersonal and interpersonal tensions. What is the source of this conflict? Verse 1 tells you your passions are at war within you. Passions. You'd pridefully want what other people have. And as the point that he made before, this tension comes from where? Yourself. Yourself. Then the explanation of the conflict, verses 2 and 3. What causes fights among Christians? Being selfish. And pride boils down to self-focus instead of God-focus. In the words of Romans 8, it's the flesh versus the spirit. And then the nature of the choice, verses 4 and 5 uh, of chapter 4. Are you a friend of the world and an enemy of God? What does friendship with the world look like? Allowing ourselves to be influenced, focusing more on is this a sin rather than does this bring glory to God? Too many Christians try to have one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. And basically they want a ticket to heaven while doing whatever they want on earth at the same exact time. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works. Then we have the resources, the resources, the resources. We have the resources to choose, and that is verses six through ten of chapter four. Basically, we have a choice: humble yourself before God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come on, come close to God, and then truly repent of your sins. And they're your resources. How you doing? How you doing? How you doing? All right. <clears throat> Let me take it from here, Nikki. You got it. From there, he goes into self-exaltation in verses 11 through 12, and he's talking here about not speaking evil of one another. Don't do it. Next, he goes into self-reliance in verses 13 through 17. And in this portion, he says, Who are you to say that tomorrow we will go into town and sell such and such and do such and such? For you do not know what tomorrow will bring. You should instead say, you will do such and such if God wills. Such and such. Which I never do. I hate doing such and such. Such I never say, Lord willing or God willing. Yeah. Or if God wills. You're feeling convicted. Which is not a bad thing. Yeah. So I no. say, I say, if the Lord wills, when I'm like, hey, I'll see you tomorrow. You know, if God, if God wills, or something like, that. like if I'm promising something in the future. Yeah. But I don't say, Lord, <clears throat> let it be Your will if You heal this person, because I'm praying to God yeah. that He would heal this person. If it is His will, He'll do it. If it's not, He won't. Yeah. I'm not like, you know, that's like kind of like contradicting your own prayer when mm-hmm. you're like, only do it if it's Your will. It's kind of like. 
you're trying to cover yourself. No, mm-hmm. just pray to God. Yeah, if it's his will, God. he'll do it. Just pray. If it's God. not, he won't. Just pray to God at this point. <laughs> All right, section six. I love the section six. Section six. Chapter five is about money. The dollar dollar bills, y'all. Them greenbacks, them dead prezies, bruh. That green, that bread, that paper, that cheese, that loaf. Chapter five. About them dollar dollar bills, bruh. Them Ben Franklin system. <laughs> that currency, bro. Them pesos. All right. Money and patient endurance, which is what you're going to have to have to endure this soundbite for the next <laughs> two minutes. I'm back. It's uh, verses I'm 1 back. through 18. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, anyway, um, we have warnings for the rich is the beginning of chapter five. (laughs) We have the introduction of the problem in verse one. And this is where James says, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Oh, rich people. Wow. He's about to go ham on you, rich people. (laughs) Okay. And then in verses two and three, He talks about sort of the corrosive consequence of wealth. He says, your objects will rot and degrade. Similar to how Jesus said, do not store up your treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. And the thief breaks in and steals. Oh, what do we have there? (laughs) Oh. Okay. (laughs) Yes, so do not store wealth on earth. Also, do not misuse your wealth. Uh, It says in verses 4 through 6 that abusing workers and fraudulently exploiting them will indeed cause you to live luxuriously in this life but it will ruin your eternity. All right, and then it talks about the proper attitude towards wealth. We need to get rolling here, fellas. This is a, this is a short book and a long episode it's okay. here. It's entertaining. I suppose. Uh, so uh, there's an exhortation here to be patient in verses 7 through 9. It says that you should live with patience and speak kindly about one another. And then there's a few examples of endurance in verses 10 through 11, and he mentions that the Old Testament prophets, such as Jeremiah, Hosea, Isaiah, and Job, were examples of patience. And then uh, he also says in verse 12, do not swear by heaven, let your yes be yes, let your no be no, which essentially means be a person of your word uh, so that people can trust you when you tell them something. And then we have the proper action in verses 13 through 18. And basically it says that if you're suffering, pray. And if you're cheerful, sing praise. Okay, so you should have proper reaction to certain things that are happening in your life. And then he also gives some uh, advice. He gives some advice here on what to do when you're in need. He says that if you're sick, call on the elders 
have them pray for you and anoint you with oil, which we can have a conversation about if you want. But he says, have them pray for you and anoint you with oil. Also, confess your sins to one another so you can be healed. Mm-hmm. Okay. In short, oil was medicine. It yes, wasn't many the, people uh, did believe that oil was medicine. Uh, for reference, uh, you can look at the parable of the Good Samaritan. Yeah, and it wasn't the anointing that we we have learned about as Christians. Yep. It was actually in context just medicine. Correct. All right, and then finally in this section we have the power of prayer in verses 17 and 18. And basically, it gives the example of Elijah, who prayed for it to not rain for years, and it didn't rain. And then he prayed for rain, and it rained. And so he used right an example here. Is it raining? Yeah, you don't hear it? Look at Elijah, bro. <laughs> bro. Uh, so yeah, that is the power of prayer. And then lastly, the final two verses of the book, verses 19 through 20 talks about how if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, whoever brings the sinner back... <laughs> whoever sins the sinner back. <laughs> if anyone wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, whoever brings the sinner back will save his soul from death. That'll preach. Hey. Come on now. And that is I am the book of Jim. James. Jamie. The book of hummus for our hummus <laughs> for our Spanish speaking listeners. I love hummus. Hummus. So I love hummus. You know hummus Rodriguez? No. No. I don't. He's an amazing soccer player. Oh yeah? Yeah. What team does he play in? Colombia. He's a Colombian, right? Oh yeah? Yeah. And I think he's on Manchester. I don't okay. know. Anyway, if you are not a part of why don't you tell them how to join that nation? Well, sure, Nikki. You can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com backslash Bible Dingers or forward slash. I don't really know. <laughs> and in there, you can sign up for as little as $1 a month. And the perks that that gets you is behind the scenes access. Uh, you get access directly to myself, Mark, and Nick in group chats on Instagram and Discord. Uh, you also get these episodes a week early. You get our YouTube videos early. And you just generally feel better about yourself. And did you rip the audio yet on those YouTube videos? No, not yet. But that is coming That's in the future. Gonna That's be... also going to be another perk for patrons is that if you don't like keeping our YouTube videos open uh, to listen to the interviews and things like that, we are ripping the audio from our videos and uploading them to Patreon Uh audio only so that you can listen to it as a podcast as opposed to keeping your YouTube open, using all your data when you're driving, so on and so forth. Uh, but you can find links to our Patreon and all that other stuff on BibleDingers.com Yep. And that was our episode on the book of James. We sure hope you enjoyed it and we do hope and encourage you to open up your Bibles and read it yourself. Don't just listen to this episode and think that that's sufficient. We do want to encourage you to open up your Bibles but if you enjoy the episode and you like what we're doing, you can go on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter and follow us at Bible Dingers across the board. And while you're there, just give me the likes, don't pass and scroll. Don't pass and scroll. Hit subscribe. Hit follow. Hit that like button. And most importantly, ding on. Every time.
Bible Dingers. Bible Dingers. Embrace the ding. <laughs> <laughs>